0: Are you ready to begin?
1: I am. Hi, hello. (laughs) This is Sad Girl Syllabus, a commentary on media through the ages. Each season we'll have a new syllabus to dive into. I'm Bethany. And I'm Mary and we are
0: two girls too sad (laughs) let's jump into the syllabus (laughs) woohoo
1: season three we made it so excited (laughs) we made it happy 2022 for those listening in real time
0: Mm -hmm. recently into 2022 each episode i'm surprised that we got here that we made it and i'm surprised that we made it to 2022 as well so very excited to be here (laughs) you know who knows
1: what this next year will bring um mary you sent me a text message a couple weeks ago about (laughs) nasa um hiring 24 theologians (laughs) to form a think tank on
0: aliens yeah, like what, how will we broach the public? Um, when we tell them that aliens exist? Kind of thing. And, <laughs> and uh, I guess... these theologians to weigh in. <laughs>
1: <laughs> and I also, I, I mean, that seems like the uh, clickbaity headline, but I would hope that if NASA is forming a think tank around aliens, I would hope that it's like theologians plus like ethicists plus philosophers plus sociologists you know like I hope it's not just theologians
0: (laughs) I don't know the just the hiring of theologians makes me think like oh cult like what's going on are we just looking about are we just thinking about cults and aliens um and alien worship but not any of the other implications of like what if other life exists um yeah (laughs) just cults
1: We're always this the Sad Girl Syllabus podcast is always um, on the pulse. We've always got a finger on the pulse.
0: You know what? We'll record an episode, and then something will happen uh, yeah. in larger society, and be like, "What? It's yeah." I mean, maybe NASA oh, should hire yeah. us. That's
1: I'm <laughs> <laughs> I can see it on the New York Post headline now. NASA hires Sad Girl Syllabus podcast hosts Mary Thompson and Bethany Tabor. <laughs> <laughs> to discuss, the, to make commentary. Yeah, um, it's like us and Red Scare podcast. um, <laughs> um Yeah, and then uh, also speaking of things happening central to our themes, Elizabeth Holmes found guilty.
0: Yes, but she counts. wasn't. Yeah,
1: yeah, but she had more stuff against her. Right, she had more yeah, than four like, counts against. A, her. Yes,
0: there were eleven. Um, okay. Yeah. Eleven crimes. I don't know how you (laughs) turn that (laughs) charges. Eleven charges. There we go. Elizabeth (laughs) Holmes has done eleven crimes, but she is only guilty of four. (laughs) (laughs) I think she's like found guilty of four, found not guilty of three. Oh, okay. And then the other ones are TBD. Oh. hmm. Um. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um. She. You know, maybe her dad can arrange a meeting between her and Martha Stewart. Her dad,
0: though, will like yeah. Maybe her get her dad on the pot. He'll come in in a disguise, <laughs> <laughs> just like he did during the trial. <laughs> Ask the journalists what they think. What? Yeah, at the beginning of the trial, he like came in like sort of disguised and like kept talking to journalists and. They're like, and all the journalists were like, Are you like wearing a wig or something? Like that? Like, like, I imagine him in like a Groucho you? Marx, like the glasses with the nose, <laughs> and like a trench coat,
1: and like, <laughs> and he's like, he's sitting on the shoulders of another person. Oh my god. <laughs> I saw a meme recently that was like, America is not a country. It's just four corporations wearing it stacked on top of each other,
0: wearing a trench coat, (laughs) which is true. Accurate. (laughs) Yep. Definitely. That's great.
1: What a time to be alive.
0: Yeah. Now that we've um, established that we are omniscient um, or at least (laughs) maybe not omniscient, but um, you know, can forecast the future a little bit. (laughs) (laughs) Should we get into? Yeah, there we go, better. That's more on sad girl syllabus. Speaking of cults. (laughs) Yes, speaking of cults, we are prophets (laughs) now. We will start a sad girl syllabus cult. Um (laughs) Nice. I guess we should break into this new season too. Yay. I'm really excited about it. Yeah, I think it's probably our most um, robust and uh, unique, I guess. Yeah,
1: there's a lot of material in here
0: Mm -hmm.
1: to to dig into.
0: Yeah, so season three is um, the Trad Wife Finishing School, uh, which is examining uh, the sad wife trope that we see in fiction and often the sad wife is the woman left behind during war, right? Um, That the woman who stays home while the man goes off to war. And we see it in countless, countless stories and war epics and movies nowadays. Um, Yeah, and it's sort of like the idea of like a very patriotic culture that, the woman's role during war is to be this um, both provider for the home, the constant at home, the one who remains um, while the men go off to nobly fight, I guess, for nation and home state. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah, it very much fits in with this, um, like, uh I I sort of am thinking about it in terms of like as uh not printed, but as literature. Um, and like, because it's not necessarily printed, but these epics and stuff are also mm-hmm. transmitted orally, but in literature and in like a cultural construction of society, as you do that through epic poems and um literature and and now in these modern times film, <laughs> um, you have this like, uh, there's a constant structuring of like, what men and women are supposed to do a constant structuring of roles that the people think that society has to uh, construct around. And you think about like, okay, if men are, pr- are protecting the home, then women have to make the home, mm-hmm. and like women have the domestic space. And um, and so, what happens when there's conflict or uh, tension between between different uh, nation states or different groups of, of people? And so, and what? How do those? How do the roles of protector and housekeeper um, uh, develop when there's times of global tension? And right. yeah, the woman has to um, the woman has to to keep the home. And from that women are um, uh, as these like museological, (laughs) I guess what I mean, what I meant is like as a muse, as women, as a muse of Mm -hmm. these like uh, patriarchal orators or writers, um, like there's, the woman is always broken up into different like archetypes, I think. you know, after millennia of of women not being able to tell their own story and give their own perspective, they right. get broken, they get made up into different, like, archetypes and the sad wife trope splits off between, like, abandoned wife, faithful wife,
0: trollop or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> uh... <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the wife is, uh, of course, for most of these stories is like the only woman in the story. Um, And her role is at home. Um, Mm -hmm. And whether and then it's a judge of her character, whether she is the faithful, um, constant wife, or Mm -hmm. if she doesn't do her duties, and, and says something else. And so there's always like this judgment around how well she's being that sad Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) it's 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 super
1: on brand it's super sad girl and um and you know I think that the pessimistic view or the nihilistic view even is that is that sad girls are sad girls because they know the fate that awaits them but Mm -hmm. I Mm -hmm. am against that nihilism I mean I recognize it and I I like to talk about it I like to think about it but um no, sad girls are they're not accepting of their fate, anyway, whatever.
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah uh. <laughs> yeah,
1: so um, we're mainly going to talk this season about this trope in Western literature and films. Right. Um, and as we alluded to, this happens um this this trope shows up um across across millennia um Mm -hmm. we're starting this first episode looking at classical like greek antiquity um and but then we'll sort of like specialize it down into specifically like american glorified american and central european uh stories of war Mm -hmm. um yeah and as you Mary astutely pointed out in our notes um, for the
0: propagation of nationalism. Right. Yeah. I mean, all of these stories often tie back to nationalism. Some, you know, some are a little more critical. I think that we're going to be talking about. But especially as we get into modern day and we get into like films in Hollywood, it is largely about this nationalistic and sort of war mongering tendency. I'm not gonna hide that <laughs> in there. <laughs> um, yeah, we'll talk about you know how much money the U.S. Army uh, puts into Hollywood films. It's a lot. Uh- <laughs> yep. But amazingly, even after like all of these um, centuries, that character of the sad wife is very similar throughout time. You know? <laughs> yeah. Like are sure. really is a constant um sort of archetype
1: yeah and um you also pointed out uh uh this the blogification of Mm. trad wives which i thought is really interesting i do want to get into that too um and because it's the i want to get into that specifically because that like the blogification and like trad wifery Mm-hmm. Is um, is the like, is it the result of all this literature? Like, is it like I guess it's you could say that it's like a chicken egg problem. Like, is it a result of like wanting to live up to this like sort of stay at home, sad wife, <laughs> trad wife uh, myth that you see in literature and films? Or like or, you know, is it just is it a product of conditioning? Not like and literature is just representing that conditioning. Like what? um it's it's interesting and there's this uh real world versus uh fictional story mm. world um that is there and i also um <laughs> i recently watched the spencer film the diana oh yeah princess yeah, you're diana. For that. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the biopic which is not really a biopic that was that was trippy that was trippy um and I don't know. Christian Stewart is also um, definitely a sad girl. Oh, Obviously, come uh, <laughs> she, comes, she comes up in every season, basically. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, that but that something clicked in me with watching that film and watching Spencer because, and it's they make a they make a big deal to say that it's uh there's a lot of they took a lot of creative liberty and that only a few of the details are actually um from real life. And and they're also minor details. So they're taking a lot of creative liberty to like construct a story around Diana as this like sad wife persona. Um, but Diana's a real person and like she, by virtue of her tragic early death, she's not, she's just like turned into this muse and not mm-hmm. like, you know, there's no there's no real like Diana story because she because she died when she was so young. So that's tragic. I also read a Camille Paglia essay about Diana (laughs) last night that
0: was like. (laughs) Keep it. (laughs) Just joking, we can have different views on Camille. Okay. (laughs) Um,
1: But it's, and it was like, um, I forget when this, I think the essay that I read was written in 2004 like shortly after her death anyway um so and it was like talking about this sort of like mythic character abandoned wife persona anyway that was a tangent but i'm interested in like the the sad wife theme motif in literature versus like then how it shows up in real life with real people Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. and like blogging like being a wife blogger is like
0: uh is is making a story
1: out of your right. own. Yeah.
0: Making a narrative often um, as all things with social media and the internet, kind of glossing it up and um, making it this sort of perfect world in which, mm-hmm. um, yeah. So there is obviously this mommy blogs have been, existed since blogs became a possibility, mm-hmm. but there has also been this recent trend of these um, sort of neoconservative takes on motherhood and being a wife in which they're super yeah traditional um and not just stay at home but like women's gender roles and men's gender roles and who should be doing what etc 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 and these like really defined boundaries between the two um that are really like antiquated and there's Mm -hmm. um now a ton of influencer not a ton but influencers that are um touting these um rules and it's related because the man is often viewed as like incredibly you know he's inherently masculine and he they often are in the military or have very traditionally masculine jobs that involve physical labor um so it's like becomes this like sad wife trope except in this reality she is the good wife who is very patient and understanding Mm -hmm. of the toll of the world on her very masculine husband. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, like becomes a defender in her own right. And sort of this, um, it's, it's interesting, this like, it's, it's a masculinization to want to be a defender of the homestead as well. And I think that that's interesting when you think about like people, um, like women who are criticized for their masculinization when they become, when they like forego having kids, they forego marriage and they, they just mm. want to focus on their career kind of thing. Like that is, um, uh, I think that that is seen as like a masculinization and is criticized or criticized as a masculinization. Um, whereas, but like, if, but when you think about like army wives or whatever, or like, um, uh, these like mommy bloggers who are, they want to defend and they want, they want a warlike glory mm-hmm. for their reality as well. Um, right. but they, and, and to me, that's also a masculinization, but with, under the guise of like femininity. Yeah.
0: Yeah. There is like a, I mean, I guess that's part of the narrative, a real desire for very dramatic stakes. Yeah. Um, to be involved in just everyday life. That's a good point. Mm -hmm. You know, like, so that there is like a cultural war going on and like, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and they are defenders of, you know, this morally upstanding way or something like that. Um, and it's weird to see on Instagram, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> it is, you're
1: right. It is super weird. Super weird to see it.
0: Yeah, it's nothing new, but
1: yeah. Mm-hmm. And because, especially because now, like social media feeds like you have the people that you follow, but then there's also like out al- like algorithmic uh, insertion and like TikTok is really not based on people you follow. Um, there's a whole separate page for the for those you follow and then you have your for you page, which is what the algorithm feeds you and so then it's just like you'll be scrolling and then you see this like very trad. Like blog and you're like whoa how did that show up <clears throat> anyway <laughs> anyway, we can. Let's, that all to come this season. All to come.
0: Yeah. It's, as I said, like a room fast season. This <laughs> <month>. <laughs> we start a uh, little bit in the past instead, yeah. you know, just a little bit. Just, just a little. <laughs> <laughs> With uh, everybody's favorite, everybody's favorite, Homer. That's where we're going to begin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess,
1: is Homer everyone's favorite? No, but.
0: for this purpose.
1: Um. Yeah, (laughs) the iconic Homer. Um, Yes, the Odyssey and Greek mythology. mm -hmm. Penelope and Clytemnestra are the two sad wives, the two sad girls featured today. Um, I think that they are foils of each other and they both show up in the Odyssey. Um, I Okay, here's an admission. I have no idea what the difference is between the Odyssey and the Iliad. Sorry, I I literally
0: can't tell the difference. I can, I can tell you, you would to know. Please, please enlighten me. The Iliad is the Trojan War. So that okay. is the beginnings and full, most of the battle. And, uh-huh. and, and the Odyssey is Odysseus who is in the Trojan War and his journey back home to Ithaca which takes 10 fucking years yeah
1: (laughs) I was like I was like wow in my head like immediately the glimpse was like Ithaca is gorgeous um (laughs) thought of like Ithaca (laughs) New York
0: (laughs) he's the king of Ithaca um Ithaca New York (laughs) (laughs)
1: that'd be a great like Wes Anderson-esque like twee adaptation of the Odyssey is like some dude trying to get some dude is like trying to travel, I don't know, say from like Los Angeles to Ithaca and he gets like delayed, his like flight gets delayed and stuff. Oh my God, we should write this movie. Um,
0: <laughs> I'll say it, like, not set in present day at all. Set in the 20s, in the 30s. Uh, oh brother, where art thou? Uh, yeah, I was yeah, just gonna say. It's fun, But not um, going to New York Ithaca, which I think is much better. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, like a, some like Cornell, like PhD student or something I was, like, trying to, like, get back. Anyway. Um, yeah. So, okay. Okay, great. So th- thank you for that distinction. The Odyssey is the journey back after the war. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it is, I mean, I guess, because see, when I was looking at Penelope and Clytemnestra, I was like, wait, where is, is Clytemnestra in the Iliad? Is her story in the Odyssey. And so that's where I was like getting confused. But I guess her story with Agamemnon is also
0: in the Odyssey. Right. I believe there's a bit of both. Uh, that is a great question of where, because it does get a little bit confusing where the split is. Um, but yeah, I believe that story is told in the Odyssey. Um right. Yeah. And that's kind of just like a, a sort of a minor note onto Odysseus's journey at that point, Um, sort of what's been happening Mm -hmm. while when he did this and what happened after the war.
1: Mm -hmm. And for the purposes of this episode, to talk about the two women, um, Penelope takes uh, more of a forefront um, in the Odyssey, because she is the wife of Odysseus and she is, um, and she's the one mainly being depicted as the one who's waiting, waiting for him to return, from the trojan war um and that return takes like 20 years uh and he has to like solve riddles and shit um yeah i mean i mean not in not like some not like someone is guarding a passageway and giving him a (laughs) riddle but like
0: yeah you know sacrificing his men to the sirens right he has all of these obstacles and delays and he gets stuck with calypso and and there's also like some i mean it's kind of interesting because Odysseus actually is a pretty interesting character um because he's kind he's like he's i think often depicted in movies as being like this noble hero but in Mm. the book in the in the book uh in the epic he you know he's cunning that's his strong yeah. suit is that he's smart and wily basically um and he's also looking for the money um not money <laughs> yeah. percent, but like gathering treasures you know yeah. building up his worth and he's that is ambitious. another reason yeah he's ambitious and the reason why it takes so long is because he keeps getting <laughs> some track. um he's also like poseidon is out to get him you know there's a lot of gods playing in there and he then also gets distracted not distracted I guess but waylaid by these things and he doesn't sometimes it's unclear if he does want to go home right right and
1: there's sort of like um this the assumption that like okay well everything is chill like I have my lady at home and she's faithful to me and she's raising our son Telemachus and it's it's all fine so i that's the other thing that like um i think well what a lot of feminist theory would argue is that the archetype of penelope and the archetype of the faithful wife is um one of the reasons why it's problematic is because it props up this uh wayward behavior of men and Mm -hmm. you know the trojan war is over the man, the as soldier, has done his duty, and he's protected the homeland or whatever protected the state. Um, and in, but instead of returning home right away, he's just able to um, be ambitious and go after um, go after his own stuff and like what he wants and all of his desires and it's propped up by, <clears throat> it's made
0: possible by the faithful wife waiting at right. home. And even the whole, the circumstance of him leaving of why the war begins, right? Is the unfaithful wife, right? That Helen yeah. has either been, has run away or been captured um, mm-hmm. by Paris and that of Troy. So that's why mm-hmm. this war begins to begin with. So it's like it, the, the gender and the gender roles are kind of at the crux of yeah
1: both yeah. stories and um and it's interesting that different um different uh translations and different interpretations of the Iliad and the Odyssey you know they all turn up different uh like conceptions of what of what caused the Trojan war was it because Helen was being unfaithful or was she captured um Like that's that's such an interesting that's such an interesting question. And I'm really sorry, but I just got this book, a collection of essays. So like and I just started reading it. So that's why Camille Piley is coming up. But like she (laughs) bring Camille and bring Camille, whatever. (laughs) But she um um I thought wait side note this is like super tangential has nothing to do with anything but you know how (laughs) people say that like people die in threes like famous people die in threes Mm -hmm. I thought Camille Paddleo was going to be the third in the Joan Didion Eve Babbitt's triad oh wow but you know apparently she's safe because it's been a couple weeks um (laughs) R.I.P. to the real ones Eve Babbitt's and Joan Didion anyway uh (laughs) R.I.P. man um but there's one essay that I um, started that was about women in Alfred Hitchcock films and this, and the sort of like polarizing, like uh, the polarizing, like men only can only like see women in two, one of two ways, either as this like beautiful muse or like, like suffocating mother, like a suffocating mm-hmm. mother, like witch crony type person. And, right. um, and i think that that is like i think that that's that that's true i think that a lot of uh as long as the story is being told only by by men which it has been in in um in recent western society for so much of society uh, or so much of history i mean um the story of Women is always going to be either one of those two things, and it's right. and and like Helen is only going to be interpreted as either she ran away because she was being unfaithful, or she got captured because she was so like beautiful and um they couldn't control her their desire for her. Yeah, kind of resist. Uh,
0: <laughs> and there is there is like a larger conception in Greek philosophy, which then carries over to the entire western tradition of philosophy um you see it in aristotle you see similar Mm -hmm. stuff in plato um, of women as this like undefined unbound creature which really is only understood by her relationship to men and they do use like this terminology that women are like deformed their words men um Mm -hmm. And that, that, yeah, that there is a, um, uh, inconsistency about them, um, that they are unable to, uh, control themselves and yeah, that they are, they are not trustworthy. Um, Mm -hmm. and you then you, so you see then Penelope as like the great female because she controls herself. And um, is is uh, reliable in the end. But there is a mm-hmm. question of, like, could a woman possibly do that? Um, but it doesn't matter what Odysseus is doing, who is sleeping with goddesses.
1: <laughs> right, right. All that matters <laughs> is the epicness of his quest and his journey. Like, it's just a... Right. Uh, is... Like, he's, he is... I mean, men are afforded... The building's roman, mm-hmm. and I mean that the whole like building's roman like archetyping and genre is built off of these male characters. Obviously, women characters in literature can also have a building's roman, and you can apply that same philosophy and that same analysis onto women. Um, but it's this—it's a literary analysis that was first and foremost applied to men, male characters, um, and so. <laughs> you get uh yeah you get the like Odysseus can can do whatever he wants
0: and there's no like ethical he can leave home yeah you know and yeah and yeah I, I guess that's also the case is like I feel like these epics are interesting because obviously written in a time with a very different moral conception you know like and like what's bad what's good but also like the values of the society are very different right that's like right a huge part of the Iliad is um tr- how you treat guests and being right. hospitable as being like the greatest virtue of all um what I mean is the question of moral goodness in the Iliad is completely defined by the the values of the society it was written in, of course, you know.
1: Right. Right. And this is something that I wanted to to touch on for this episode as well. Um because well, so okay, so Penelope in the Odyssey, she doesn't get as she's the forefront character in terms of in relation to Clytemnestra, but she's not. She's obviously like the story isn't being told about her. It's being told about her husband. But but Penelope in that story is She's known for her fidelity. She is known for like um, hundreds of male suitors are coming to her, asking for her hand in marriage or whatever, you know, uh, wanting to take because also she's the queen. And so they want to marry her so that they can be king and rule the land. Um, And she waits. She waits for Odysseus. She clever. She comes up with all these strategies to avoid marrying the suitors. Um, And then also at the very end, the sort of climax is Odysseus finally returns home. He's disguised. But she knows, like, and she she still tries to put him off. But then she like figures out that it's him, and um and reunites with him. And so, um that's the only story that you see of Penelope is is her fidelity. But then, um, oh man, I forget what year. Maybe in the early two thousands, Margaret Atwood writes the Penelope ad. And uh, she's writing it. She's writing the Odyssey from the perspective of Penelope, and sort of speculating on um, what that life, what what Penelope's life was like, um, being at home. And what's really interesting at the very end of the Penelope ad, because she she writes it in um, half of it is in verse. It goes back and forth. Uh, have you read it? That book. I've only read sections of it. It yeah, goes back and forth between <laughs> 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 um like sort of in verse in like the traditional epic poem verse, and then another chapter will be sort of uh, more modern prose. Um, and then at the very end, there's like this epilogue that is and, and also the chorus in the Penelope ad mm-hmm. is the 12 maidens. Um who are, uh, they also have like a minor role in the Odyssey. Um, the 12 maids of Penelope are uh, killed, they're executed by Odysseus um, for like misbehaving basically. Um,
0: yeah, Yeah. like when the, the suitors, when Odysseus comes back, he kills all the suitors and they execute the maids for possibly, yeah, possibly being treacherous with the, the suitors.
1: Yeah. And I guess like colluding with the suitors or something and also yeah. like being in affairs with them. But um, at the end of the Penelope ad, there's like this scene that, that's the chorus of the Penelope ad is that these 12 maids and the scene is like their trial um, before they're executed. And they, uh, it's really interesting at the, basically what Atwood is arguing is that the, the myth of the odyssey is um and like that epic poem is actually a literary artistic representation of the sort of transition from goddess worship like a polytheistic like very matriarchal um priestess following goddess worship religion society religious society transitioning into a patriarchal Polytheistic religious society. Mm. Um, Margaret Atwood talks about like the number why the number 12 is significant. The number 12 maids plus Penelope makes 13, which is 13 moons um in, in a year, 13 full moons in a year, which is uh equivalent to and 13 is a is a feminine number because there's um if there are 13 full moons in a year, then that means a woman is having 13 periods. Um or 13 menstrual cycles, and there's all sorts of, like, when you look further back past, even before antiquity, in the, like, Greek, Rome, Greek, and Italy region, um, there's all sorts of, uh, goddess worship uh, lots of idols are uncovered in archaeological excavations of like worshiping goddesses and worshiping the uh, like it's uh, fertility cults like that sort of like mm-hmm. Mediterranean region has these fertility cults most ancient human civilization pre-literature um, I'm using air quotes for the listeners um <laughs> uh, most religions and, uh, religious literature and myth is all, and and all these religions are fertility cults. And so therefore you, when you have a fertility cult, you're worshiping the woman, because that is the person who bears life. Um, anyway, so this trial in the Penelope the trial of the 12 maids, um, that's, it it brings to life this sort of feminist class classics read or interpretation Mm -hmm. on the odyssey of like, yeah, actually this is about the takeover of patriarchal
0: polytheistic religion. Hmm. Yeah, that's cool. That's Yeah, it's really incredible. Um, Because even in the odyssey, the main God who's interacting um, most frequently, is Athena because she is Odysseus' patron. She's looking out for him. Um, she like loves him. She, you know, keeps an eye on him. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's funny because she is like obviously a female goddess. Um, but she's also the goddess for, she has very classically interpreted it as masculine qualities, you know, mm-hmm. these, mm-hmm. um, these, um, so unlike other goddesses um, who have to do with domesticity, um, have to do with love, have to do with childbearing. Um, she is the, yeah, traditional is also air quotes, masculine uh-huh. um, <laughs> tendencies. So it is almost like a, I wonder, a bridge figure um, mm-hmm. moving away from the uh, fertility, um towards war mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um you
1: know this is a, a side note a slight tangent but i i do think it's funny when i see um w- like so okay on tiktok <laughs> <laughs> what i think is really funny is like there's a lot of like feminist classics people um feminist classical scholars on on there and doing like edu education edutainment education tiktok and they'll often like express a lot of disdain for extremely feminine um athena depictions mm. and um uh and like yeah they're they're just like that's not what athena looked like like she did not have like this bustier and cleavage she had like a she had a uh Hephaestus makes her a a thing like a big breastplate that like hides her boobs or something and they're like she was not like feminine um and I do think that's pretty I think that's pretty funny that like a lot of feminist theorists want her to want Athena to be um and want these like uh like more powerful goddesses to be to look less feminine and to look more and to be more like uh I guess gender neutral is what they're uh looking for, but I, but I don't know, in my, my personal opinion and my, and this is just like my tangent, my personal, opinion, I kind of would love it if there's like, if there's like feminine wiles, <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know, like I, I prefer to see these like very hyper-powerful goddesses. I prefer that they like look uh, really feminist and have these like, these like curves. I think that it's an interesting, like, I mean, I think it's an interesting combination of this, like fertility figure, having mm-hmm. large breasts and and big hips, child bearing hips or whatever, um, mixed with like very, like warrior goddess kind of thing. It's um, to me that's that's more interesting of a narrative than than like an androgen goddess. Hmm. But anyway, <laughs>
0: she's a controversial figure. Okay, she is a controversial uh... figure. <laughs> anyway
1: uh yeah
0: (laughs) (laughs) no but i you know i think that sometimes is left out of recent conversations of like the iliad is you know gods are very much a part of it you know it's not just a story of one man it's about a much larger um belief system uh view of the world, you know like there it's not like we're like pulling out like one figure um, from these to draw from. it's this is very much a text that shows a lot about what the world Homer was living in, right and right right how how they viewed the world and and how they worshipped. Um, and at the same time, then the story gets retold, retold, retold so many times in mm-hmm. so many different adaptations. Um adapting those beliefs for the society it has then produced reproduced mm-hmm. in. Um, mm-hmm. So there's like so much flexibility in it, too. But I think a lot of times the God portion gets ignored. Um, yeah. God's yeah. portion gets ignored. <laughs> um, I think that that's yeah.
1: true in a in a very secular, like we're living in an extremely secular moment, and so right. that is probably also why the the religious studies aspect of it gets abandoned.
0: And then right, you're like, not,
1: and then you're not seeing like it, Homer was living in a world where maybe there was this huge upheaval and, and transition from goddess worship into patriarchal God worship.
0: Yeah. Right. Like, yeah, I'm thinking of like recent adaptations of these words, like Troy. Do you remember that movie? Oh yeah. Oh my God. Yeah. Well, <laughs> <fantastic. Yeah>, no <laughs> gods in that. It's like very like, we're not going to bring that into it at all, but it's yeah. a huge part of the story yeah yeah of why things happen even uh-huh. you know or why people act certain ways
1: mm-hmm.
0: clash of the titans is a good uh, opposite <laughs> <laughs> you're right that's a good point
1: <laughs> clash of the titans in fact does not abandon the gods <laughs>
0: <laughs> all about it and i guess with clemency clemes am i saying her name right clytemnestra clytemnestra that's how we're saying it okay Um, there is a also like a very much like living under the curse of the gods in that family yeah so oh yeah she she is hella cursed she's hella cursed that whole that whole crew is over there uh (laughs) house of atreus (laughs) getting cursed (laughs) (laughs) so much baby eating in that family.
1: Yeah. Um it made <laughs> me think of like it made me think of what uh like how the trend now of like people eating their placenta.
0: Oh. You know, that's what I was wondering about. I was like, okay. So <laughs> to give a little background. Agamemnon, who is um you know, the leader of the Trojan War for the Greeks. Mm-hmm. Um, he is part of House, I think it's Atreus, um, which is cursed uh, by the gods because <laughs> of his, I think, great-grandfather, Tantalus, who oh, yeah. oh. tried to feed the gods his own child to see if they were really omniscient. Um, And then also steals stuff from them, like Ambrosia. Anyway, so they're cursed. And there are multiple people in their family that end up either accidentally eating their own kid because someone killed them and cooked them and fed them to them or about to eat their own kid or have to sacrifice their own child or whatever. Um, But all of the kid eating made me think, I was like, is this like, this is obviously the most taboo thing, right? In there, the greatest crime. That's how it's treated by the Greeks. Um, Mm -hmm. Because it happens all the time in Greek mythology, like constantly. Uh, And I just have to wonder if it was happening in real life. Like, where is this going? (laughs) Why does it come up so much?
1: Well, and it's interesting like to think about, yeah, why, why is it coming up so much? To me, the logical thing, but I mean, I'm not a classic scholar and I'm not an archaeologist. So, uh, you know, this is take this with a fucking grain of salt, but the logical (laughs) thing to me is that this is all like, as a, as a, an evolution out of fertility worship, if you're like killing your kid, like that's the greatest offense because you're not, um, propagating the species and Mm -hmm. it's like the opposite of bringing a child into the world and then like killing that child it's the opposite of of uh it's the greatest offense because it's it's so nihilistic and it's so um goes against uh, the survival instinct for humans um to propagate the species but then it's interesting that then you get into 2000 years later then you have this cult around a messianic figure jesus excuse me jesus christ who is god's son who gets who God allows
0: to be killed. Right. Is also eaten. Jesus is also. True. <laughs> True. And even further, you know, in the same tradition, in the same tradition, though, you got Abraham sacrificing yes. Isaac because God told him to. And then God's like, just wanted to test you. Like, haha, just kidding. I just wanted to see if you would do it. <laughs> And she did, almost. (laughs) Um, So weird.
1: Oh, God. Back to Clytemnestra, um, who is Penelope's foil. She's not very faithful. Um, And she's the wife of Agamemnon. By marrying into Agamemnon's family, which she was forced into, according to some interpretations, she also gets cursed. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like no wonder Clytemnestra is like running away all the time. Um and like no wonder she's not faithful because she like was forced into this like uh cursed family. But um he's he's in the Trojan War. Uh while he is away or when he's returning from the Trojan War, he Well, first of all, he can't even go first. So yeah, yeah. Clytemnestra is forced into marrying this family. Um, Agamemnon takes her as his wife. He kills her firstborn child with her first husband, um, who is who is I can't remember the name. Uh, Anyway, no,
0: sorry. This is later. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) It's so
1: confusing. (laughs) Anyway, um, I don't know how classics majors do it. That's I wow uh anyway so basically she's forced into marrying agamemnon they do right before the trojan war they do have a child iphigenia 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 um and a little daughter agamemnon tries to go fight the trojan war the weather is bad and they can't <laughs> sail their boats to troy and so um and agamemnon hears from the kid from the from the kids from the gods you need to sacrifice your kid and then we'll Clear up the weather. So then he lies to Clytemnestra and says, You're um, like, I'm gonna take Iphigenia and marry her off to Achilles, but he doesn't, he ends up killing her. That sucks. Then he's off fighting the Trojan War, and then he marries an, an the princess of Troy, Cassandra, and he returns, expecting Clytemnestra to have been this like faithful, or I mean, I'm projecting that, but you know, there's an expectation on Clytemnestra to have kept to have been the faithful wife. Um while he's been away. But he shows up with another woman. First of all, shows up having killed their child. Second of all, shows up married with another woman, Cassandra. And Clytemnestra has taken a new um uh, uh okay. a new husband, ageus. Yeah. Gis- gis- uh and <laughs> <laughs> sorry, my ancient Greek is not <laughs>
0: <laughs> we expected it to be on point. Come on. Um, You don't
1: know (laughs) anything? We're all getting a crash course in it now with like Delta, (laughs) Omicron. Um, (laughs) Anyway, uh, and so, but then Agamemnon is murdered by Clytemnestra and Aegisthus.
0: So she is the opposite. Yeah, she, she did not wait, and she is full of sort of rage. A quick side note is that my dad, I don't know if it's a joke or not but said that he was contemplating naming me or my sister Iphigenia, which I would say is pretty rude. (laughs) (laughs) I guess, whoa,
1: what would you, like that's too hard of a name to, for like a child to
0: say, like would you have been called Jeannie? Iffy for short or something. Iffy, I don't know. Jeannie, yeah. I don't know if that's how you pronounce it either, so. Guess not. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um I don't know how serious he's being. Probably not that serious. Because um, they named him Mary. Instead. <laughs> <laughs> well,
1: but is... We can cut this if it's too... Per- isn't your middle name Jean? That's like... Yeah. You could argue that that is a... Um, a descendant of iphigenia
0: oh hmm. you should ask me to i her didn't dad. think about it like that <laughs> <laughs> uh i hope not i'm still nervous, if it if, it if it's iphigenia then yeah. definitely gene is a similar <laughs> hmm. <laughs> sick but and in the non- Homer in some like not based on Homer myths versions of it it's also just Clemestra who kills him in the bath when he returns she's like oh right right um, and similarly another figure is poor Cassandra who is cursed to see the future and have no one believe her
1: I, I think didn't because even
0: Yeah. Holy shit. I think she rejected Apollo or something like that. So he curses her. Um, I think it's Apollo. Could be wrong. Yeah. So she's cursed to (laughs) foretell the future and have absolutely no one believe her. So she's um, like gone. She's had sort of a mental breakdown usually during these because she's essentially living in her own world in which. Yeah. So she she, I think tells Agamemnon that because he's, like, she's his war prize, kind of, and she tells Agamemnon that, like, this is not gonna go well for you, or for me.
1: He just gaslights her. He's just, like, a gaslighting king. Yeah. Great, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Man, that is, that's so much tumult, Mm -hmm. um, and, and interesting in terms of Odysseus who doesn't have as much tumult um I mean he had like he gets this whole like he overcomes all the obstacles
0: to get home and stuff and he returns to a faithful wife and also a very like um obedient I guess son uh who who does everything he's told including murder all these people
1: (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah whereas like but Orestes Orestes is the son of Agamemnon and Clytemnestra and he kills Clytemnestra.
0: Right, and, and, and yeah, so, to, prevent, to avenge his father, yeah. Yeah. Their daughter is also, or sorry, their other sibling is Electra, so. Oh, right. This house is very cursed.
1: <laughs> and, um, and Electra is the one who sleeps with her father.
0: Yeah, I need to look up more on that because I'm like not sure how that ties in because her father would be at Agamemnon, so. Right. So then unless she's the a half sibling, I don't know. Anyways. Uh... <laughs> oh man, we need a classic scholar on here. Uh... <laughs> I know. Help us. <laughs>
1: <laughs> there's too much. <laughs> um, you, there's also something about uh, this is, this is such a reach. I don't know if this is like, um, this is a bit of a reach but it's interesting that Cassandra is uh it's interesting that her being a prophet is like us like sad girls, so Um anyway okay.
0: uh <laughs> and no just like us. Uh. <laughs>
1: um but it's interesting that first of all her being made a prophet or a seer it's interesting that that's characterized as something cursed and something to be feared. Mhm um and i think about it makes me think about if if this like this interpretation theory of um like late 20th century that it's a that the odyssey is is a myth depicting transition into like male polytheistic worship interesting that like cassandra is could also be seen as like a remnant of these um high priestess Mm-hmm. uh, religious leaders. Um, and Cassandra is this, uh, a prophetess. Um, she has these mystical powers, um, but no one believing her. I mean, that seems to me also like a, like a rejection of
0: priestess. Yeah. Religion. Um, That's a priestess ruled religion. Yeah. Great point. Cause it, it nullifies the power. And in fact, mm-hmm. yeah, it makes it a curse, um, mm-hmm. rather than a gift and she's ostracized because of it, because she's viewed as um, insane.
1: Yeah, yeah. And you see, yeah. and that's like so much of, um, I mean, you don't see it now necessarily because like, because of new age, new agey thought is so prevalent and popular right now, but like, you know, people, astrologers who are, or like witchcraft, like w- these, you uh, um, these sort of earth-based uh these science it, truly science-based magic like astrology is science of the stars but it's rejected for a more mathematical based um astronomy mm-hmm. measuring the stars not for the not for the effect or, that they have on future events but measured just for like in, in terms of like physics and using using physics in mm-hmm. math to to um talk about and, and Put a framework on the stars. Um, but I think that that, like, I just think that that's interesting, another interesting parallel of like Cassandra being a seer, being not like, not being believed. And then there's also as a result of um, secularism, uh, or not even secularism, but just like a, a, this this prevalence, popularity of male mathematicians or just yeah. mathematicians in general, like, um, and and wanting to to follow the math or follow like science rather than astrology i don't know
0: well and also with the greeks too right it's you have the beginnings of a lot of that thought of both schools yeah. and they're yeah. not separate for them right right that they're happening simultaneously together like those those beginnings
1: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and i think that there's um again, I wish I knew more on this subject to like speak (laughs) with a little bit more like authority or whatever. But I also think that there's a lot of like, prior to antiquity, um, uh, as seen with like the Great Pyramids, as seen with huge megalithic uh, temples and megalithic sculptures Mm -hmm. that have such a relationship to the stars. And, and, um, you know, like the pyramids line up with, um, Sirius, which is considered the son of the other solar system, like our neighbor solar system. And you know, there's so much, um, there is so much astrological and astronomical uh uh research being done prior to antiquity in ancient human civilization. I mean, at the end, like, you know, what are you gonna do when you don't have TV and Wi-Fi? You look at the stars. Um <laughs> <right>. <laughs> You just literally have all the time in the world to just watch the stars. Uh, <laughs> but but yeah, there's there's so much of like star gazing and star worshiping and so much observation of celestial realm, the celestial realm. And then in ancient Greece is when it starts to become a little bit more rooted in math
0: and geometry. Yeah and, and that is a big cultural transition. Yeah, and then it, yeah, there's a marketed split that they have to become separate, and that they're two pools rather than something that informs the other. Overall, in it's interesting in the Iliad because there is a lot of you know interfere interference, and and there's a lot of fate, right? Like things are destined mm-hmm. to happen, and also the gods are interfering and in making things happen. Um, so it's kind of curious if like are these things predestined um are they what is the concept of free will here and and how does that mold then characterizations like Penelope like mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. is she predestined to be this kind of wife same with Clementia whose house is cursed like is that predestined the choices and things she does um mm-hmm. But then later, you know, later we get these retellings of the stories, and it's not, you know, it's more secularized. There isn't fate, there isn't gods interfering. I'm like, specifically, and we can talk more about the story later, I guess. Um, <laughs> but I'm um, thinking of probably, like, I guess the most famous retelling of the Odyssey, which is Ulysses by James Joyce. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. that story is told you know it's the whole novel happens in one day and it's the day that Leopold Bloom who's Odysseus for this um his wife is going to cheat on him mm-hmm. and that's hmm. the yeah. plot of the story is him walking yeah. around Dublin trying to like avoid it basically um <laughs> yeah. uh, so like it's interesting how the autonomy shifts in that, which is like, but right, that's the modern novel, right? Mm -hmm, Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, the prototype of modernism. Um, And then, yeah, it's interesting how action and choice is fronted there versus this, because in some ways, again, it is like, there's really nothing anyone can do um, in that story, like, it's going to happen. He knows it's going to happen.
1: But then, oh man, now I'm just like stuck in my own head about being like, okay, what if Ulysses, what if there was an adaptation of Ulysses written from the point of view of his
0: wife? <laughs> well, there kind of is. Oh, really? Not really, but in re- <laughs> it's a response to, sorry. I okay. It's not at all sure. Ulysses, but uh, Mrs. Dalloway is written in response to um, Ulysses, because it also happens in a day. It's from the perspective of a wife, um, and she like there isn't an affair involved, but she does think back to um, this relationship that she had with a woman back in her youth, and like interesting, I didn't know that, but Stella. Yeah. Like... huh? And it's a much shorter book. <laughs>
1: Virginia Woolf is like fuck this no one needs to read like several hundred pages because how long is Ulysses it's like 400 pages right
0: it's longer than that um let me see how long (laughs) it's so long oh my god it's 730 pages long Jesus that's like how long Anna
1: Karenina is right another sad wife um
0: definitely sad wife Anna is a very sad wife
1: (laughs) she's so sad oh my god <laughs> um but yeah it's funny because virginia wolf is like no one needs uh, uh, over 700 pages of a man like freaking out about
0: his cheating wife i she's think like, that no, just... she was like uh i guess it's like interesting but like do we need to go that long seems like a little like, <laughs> indulgent. <Belgium." laughs> i mean i think we've kind of gone through our are like major points and major notes. Um, I guess it's just that like from here out into the other episodes this season, we're kind of following those Penelopes, those Clemestras around into different uh, war times uh, and in between war times in the US. Yeah, and
1: and thinking about about how how the effect that that kind of philosophical thought, that liter- literary thought, the effect that that has on how women see their, see their roles, um, something that that I and I am excited and looking forward to talking about in between wars um, and or even during wars where that where women are um, fighting, Um, when Mm. women are able to join the military and women are able to be soldiers and warriors, I'm interested to explore this, this trope, um, under that framework too, because what happens when the woman is the soldier? Mm. Um, Uh. (laughs) (laughs) oh, that's this question that you had in in the notes. Like how does Penelope Penelope
0: stay the same? Right. Yeah, how does she stay the same, how does she, like that archetype change um, throughout, like, and we're really, you know, as stated before, really looking at like the US, Central Europe mm-hmm. in these stories, um, how, does, how does that sort of archetype change of, through media uh, of different wars, of different time periods? Yeah, cool. Well,
1: I'm looking forward to it. Me too. Thanks for listening. Yeah. Tune in next time. <laughs> Thanks, Mary. Thank you, Bethany. <laughs> Bye. Bye.